Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down in the playoffs. We'll be having our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will be discussing the NBA, what's going down there, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. That is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok for breaking news, updates, and highlights. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the show. We have an absolutely loaded show, uh, tons of NFL. We've got some NBA. We've got, of course, our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack, and we have our best for last. But let's jump right into a recap of the NFL Super Wildcard Weekend. Um, it was a it was a tale of two kinds of games. It was either blowout city or it was close matchups. We're gonna start with the blowout city games. Um, the one no one seen coming, Bills and Patriots. That was an absolute annihilation, um, and it was one of those games where it felt kind of like a Bills trap game. Obviously, the Patriots had gone in there and did the famous three pass attempts um, to end one against the Bills the last time they played in Orchard Park in New York. Um, Obviously, you know, Josh Allen redeemed himself and it went into Foxborough and torched up the Patriots defense. But what I've noticed is both of the Bills coordinators had head coaching interviews. Leslie Frazier was getting some attention for defense. And of course, Brian Dable, who's gotten the lion's share of the credit for rebuilding, retooling and fixing Josh Allen. Um, along with he had that great year at Alabama as the office coordinator as well. But Brian Dable's gotten a great lot of credit for, like I said, fixing, retooling Josh Allen. He was on interviews as well. Uh, none of the Patriots guys have been on them. Uh, pretty much, Dry Mayo's getting attention, uh, who's the inside linebackers coach slash de facto DC. I mean, the, the, Bills, the Patriots don't really have one because Belichick calls the defense, or Steve. Steve or Bill calls the defense, but Dry Mayo's kind of been looked at as the defensive coordinator around the league. Um, he's getting some attention, but in the grand scheme, you know, the Bills guys were getting interviewed. So, you know, that could be a distraction. Then, of course, all the pressure's on the Bills. The Patriots go in a rookie with a rookie quarterback. The third time the Bills will see him um, on the road. Wild card. I mean, all of the pressure is firmly in the lap of the Buffalo Bills. Um, and they could not have played any better. Uh, Josh Allen has admitted now, and I, and it looked like he was doing it, but he's now admitted that that touchdown pass to Dawson, the, their first touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, he was throwing the ball away. He admitted, he said, "I thought I was throwing the ball away." He threw it high enough for none of the Patriots DBs can get it, um, and he just flipped out the back of the end zone. Get ready for third down. I think it was going to be third down. Dawson Knox, however, said, "No, Josh, you did not throw this ball out of bounds." He goes up, grabs it, gets both feet in, and scores. Um, and as you guys know, I'm a Patriots fan, so I was, I texted a few of my friends. I was like, yeah, we're about to get blown out. If they could do something like that, and the way Josh threw that ball, he was throwing it out of the back of the end zone. 
And so if they can go from throwing it out of the back of the end zone to successfully scoring a touchdown, we've got no shot. Because that proves, okay, we're, the, the plan we have going into today is not only it's going to work, it's going to be very effective in working. Um, and so that was what we were up against. The Buffalo Bills, by statistics, had the greatest offensive day in the history of the NFL playoffs and potentially in the NFL history. The Buffalo Bills possessed the ball on seven meaningful drives. By meaningful, I mean drives that did not automatically start and end with kneel downs. So they touched the ball nine times, but they only they needed to end the half and needed to end the game. They had seven meaningful drives. They scored touchdowns on all seven. Um, they're the first team in NFL history to not attempt a field goal or a punt. Um, and then and they into the field goal or punt. It was some other stat. Oh, and score it. was some crazy stat they didn't ever did. Um, but yeah, no, they scored on seven possessions. They never punted or kicked a field goal. The only reason why they had 47 instead of 49 is because their export extra point operation was a little weird. They shanked a couple extra points. Um, absolute annihilation. The Patriots looked slow, old. Basically, I've been playing about for the past couple years. The Patriots came came home in the roost. Um, the Bills just looked more athletic. They looked younger. They looked um, that they were more motivated to play. The Patriots came into that game and almost played like we had a good season. Like we wanted to win 10 games, won to get in the playoffs. Great. Success. Done. And they played like they had successfully completed the mission of the season. And the Bills got them up out of there. Um, it's an absolute destruction, absolute annihilation. Um, it was it was pretty rough. As I said, as a fan to watch, I had a piece of order. I you know, got some center twists, and I was prepared to sit down and watch a great close game. And um, and I don't know why I do that because every time a game is close that I really care about, I don't ever eat. So I don't know why I do that to myself. But I was prepared to sit down there and watch a great close game. And instead, I watched an annihilation. Um, and we, there's now the pregame speeches come off Micah Hyde screaming at his team. Their dynasty ends tonight. Their reign ends tonight. Um, so they were playing with motivation, man. And, and they've got a lot of it going to uh, uh, Kansas City, too. Excuse me. We'll talk about that in, obviously in a few minutes. But, man, it's just it was a lot. Um, a lot of motivation. It felt like it was just an avalanche. Orchard Park, that first full playoff game in two, three years. Um the crowd was at their full blast that they were throwing um, objects onto the field. Um, it was just an avalanche. It was worst case scenario for Mac Jones and the Patriots trying to overcome um, because that's a running base team. We're a running base team. Patriots are a running base team, right? And so when you have an offense and you blink and it's 21 nothing, there goes the run. I mean, like, I mean, they're, they're, that's it for that. Um, I mean, Mac played a okay game. I mean, he's the only rookie starting quarterback. He made it. Trevor Lawrence didn't make it. Zach Wilson didn't make it. Dustin Fields didn't make it. Um, who was his other star rookie starting quarterback? There's five of them. Trey Lance. Trey Lance sitting behind Jimmy G. And uh, he made it, but he didn't throw a single pass. He didn't ever saw the field. Um, and so, Mac was in a position none of the others ran. Um, and he got ramrodded. It was it was bad. It was, it was pretty rough. But, I mean, it was nothing he could do. Um, Aaron Rodgers couldn't have overcame that. Tom Brady couldn't have overcame that. That was a defense. That was a Bill Belichick getting effectively punched in the mouth um, by Brian Dable, who's, like I said, the Bills OC, who should get a head coaching job this cycle if he wants one. Um, 
and Josh Allen, who cemented himself in the top five or six quarterbacks in the NFL. That was a destruction unforeseen ever. Like I said, seven meaningful drives, seven touchdowns. The only time they didn't score a touchdown, they were taking knees um, to end one of the two halves. It was spectacular. I mean, looking back on it, spectacular to watch. It was insane. Um, what the Buffalo Bills is the Patriots. Um, so they had the most shocking of the blowouts. Um, I would say the second most shocking of the blowouts would have to be the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, that game, I anticipated the Cardinals would actually keep it close uh, in my Jacks pack. You guys know I had Cardinals plus four. Um, but I told you, I was like, man, that was the game that, oh, whoa. All right. So we have a little bit of breaking news. The New York Giants are planning to hire Buffalo Bills assistant GM Joe shown as as the Giants new general manager um they're trying to work out a contract now but it was expected they were going to announce today and they have a they have it's been done so according to um Ian Rappaport along with um Adam Schefter and myself um the New York Giants have landed on Buffalo Bills assistant GM um Joe Schoen um, as their next general manager. So Big Blue has their next guy. And then he will. Um, and then he will in turn assist or help lead the process for uh, their next head coach. With uh, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn and former Miami Dolphins head coach. Um, former Miami Dolphins head coach. um Brian Flores, excuse me, um, to be high on their list of candidates. Um, but shifting back to the Rams and the Cardinals, uh, this game was unexpected blow. Like I said, I had Cardinals plus four. Um, that was pretty much I was I wasn't comfortable in the number, um, but I had Cardinals plus four. Although in the uh, they're picking the game straight up, the money line I had the Rams, but I expected it to be close. I expected it to be 27-24. You know, I was like, man, maybe even go in the you know low 30, 30-27 maybe. Um, the Rams got in the low 30s. The Cardinals never got out of the starting blocks. Um, that was another one. It was 21-0 before you blinked, and it was like, oh, so this is over. Um, and the Cardinals experience, the Cliff Kingsbury spoke about it after the game. The Cardinals experience, or inexperience rather, um, showed out. Look at who the Rams was built around. Matt Stafford, okay, he's never been a, he's never been in a playoff winner, but he's been that's his third playoff game. Look at Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's been into the Super Bowl. Von Miller's been a Super Bowl MVP. Jalen Ramsey has been to an Asian title game. Um, Cooper Cup has was, was, went to a Super Bowl. Because people forget that Jared Goff Super Bowl team was what, two years ago? Three years ago? So a lot of the guys, maybe they weren't elevated as a level they are now, but they were on that team. I think Jalen Ramsey might have been on that team. Um, Andrew Whitworth been to a Super Bowl. Sean McVay has been to a Super Bowl. So a lot of the guys on the team, especially the important players, um, have been to Super Bowls. Now, like Odell's never been. That was Odell's second playoff game, but he didn't have a big game. He had a big catch. He didn't have a big game. Flip it to Arizona. Kyler Murray's never been to a playoff game. Cliff Kingsbury's never been to a playoff game. J.J. Watt's only been one or two with Houston. Chandler Jones has never been to one. Oh, he, went, he was one, one, he's a Patriot. Um, Marco Wilson's never been to a playoff game. You know, so much inexperience on the Cardinals' side. They ran into a buzzsaw in L.A. Everything worked. Odell had a touchdown catch. Cooper Cup got a touchdown catch. Von Miller had a sack. Aaron Donald wrecked the middle of the line. Jalen Ramsey refused to allow a catch. 
no DeAndre Hopkins to even move Jalen Ramsey away from anybody. So it was just like it was a perfect storm um, of things working out for the Los Angeles Rams. And kudos to them taking advantage of it. You know, you see a lot of times teams get these advantages. Uh, they get stuff working in their favor and they don't take advantage. You know, they get a guy out. DeAndre Hopkins out. What does Jalen Ramsey do? Eliminate Christian Kirk. Um, you get a weakness or an injury at, at offensive line. What did Aaron Donald do? Find it and pick at it. You know, so it's it's kind of like the Rams took advantage of the opportunities. Matt Stafford personally didn't do um, much of anything. Um, he controlled the game. He did a great job um, in maneuvering the offense in and out of situations. Like they ran the ball well. Um, there was a scary moment in that game. Obviously, with Buda Baker. Um, glad he's okay. Did not like Cam Akers' reaction to his injury at all. Um, because I mean, they just told a story about how Cam Akers was crying in rehab, not knowing if he'd ever be the player he was again. And yet, when you see a player not moving on the ground, you taunt. Like, okay, yeah, like that's that that shows who you were in that moment. Um, so not didn't love that from Cam Akers at all. Um, so but glad Buda Baker's okay. Um, he flew home the next day. He said he's fine. You know, concussion and everything, but he'll be all right. Um, one of the league's best guys, one of the league's best safeties. Um, but that game was just a complete domination by the Rams. I mean, Kyler Murray had probably his worst game as a football player. Um, I watched almost every Cardinals game. I watched every game with him in Oklahoma. And based on his high school numbers, that was probably the worst game of football Kyler Murray's ever played in his life. Um, there's been conflicting reports out of Arizona. Now that Cliff Kingsbury could be in danger, I don't know why he would be. Um, they won five games first year, eight games second year, ten games third year. Why 11 games third year? Why is he in danger? I mean, at that pace, he wins 14 next year. Not really win 14? Hell no, not in that division. But could I see him winning 12 for 13 if that team is healthy? Absolutely. Zayvon Collins is a year older. Isaiah Simmons is a year older. Kyler Murray is a year older. JJ Watt, okay, he's a year older, unfortunately. D Hop is healthy. Christian Kirk is there. Um, Andy Isabella is there. Um, James Conner is there. Chandler Jones is there. That secondary grows up. Use a first-round pick on a corner. What if Sauce Gardner is sitting there playing corner? You stick Sauce Gardner on that defense. You're looking good. Now, do I think they need an offensive lineman? Yeah. I think they need to get the best offensive lineman on the board. And if I was them, I'd try and package a couple late-round picks. They don't need a lot of starters to come up again from out of the second to late first to get another offensive lineman. Um, to get two of those offensive linemen in there because that division is loaded with pass rushers and they don't have great offensive linemen. Or I would trade for a couple. Um, but all in all, that game was just an absolute destruction um, by the Rams. Congratulations to Matt Stafford on no longer being the quarterback with the most touchdowns um, without a playoff win. He was at 323, and the news got him was like at 250. Um, so kudos to him for being off that list. Kudos to Odell for getting that playoff monkey off his back. Um, kudos to him as well. Um, for getting that uh, monkey, like I said, off his back as well. But now let's shift to some of the um, more expected blowouts. So the main expected blowout for me, or one of them, even though I didn't pick it in Jack's pack, okay, it was a little bit unexpected. Let's, okay, let's clear the air. So as you guys know, in Jack's pack, I picked point spreads. Now on the money line, I had the bucks. That was easy. That was easy peasy lemon squeezy. I didn't matter if they were playing on the damn moon. But I was told all week 
that that was supposed to be a monsoon in Tampa. So you favor the team that runs more and take away the team that runs less and, you know, kind of bring the score down a little bit. Eight and a half felt like a lot of points in a game that probably neither team gets 20. That was kind of weather I was expecting. So I'm sitting at a restaurant eating with my fiance, my lovely fiance. I'm sitting at a restaurant eating and they turn the game on and I look up and I see sun and I went, crap. Now the wind was there, kind of, it was gusting, but there was no rain. I'm expecting a, I'm expecting a field that's a mud hole and I, I was told monsoon. I told you guys, I had monsoon all week. I was being told all week, monsoon, terrible weather, horrible weather. So I bet basically the weather. And the weather didn't come. And so, of course, when there's no weather, um, Tom Brady versus Jalen Hurts is a laughable gap. And um, the Bucks absolutely destroyed the Eagles, 31-15. Uh, at, at certain points, I was calling Jalen Hurts an H-back. Now, I think that's a bit much. I think calling him an H-back is a bit harsh. Um, but definitely, he I don't think he's the future of the Eagles. Now, reportedly, they're interested in keeping him. I don't know why. If I was them, I would move on. I don't understand why you would continue to go down this path. But apparently, um, Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman are comfortable going with forward with Jalen Hurts and want to use their three first-round picks to build around him. Personally, I think it's lip service. I think I think that's true. I think they want to build around the quarterback position. I just don't think they love any of the quarterbacks in this draft. So instead of burning a first-round pick on a quarterback they don't necessarily love, they'd rather get a receiver because Jalen Rager's a bust and get, in my opinion, two offensive linemen. Because, I mean, get one offensive lineman to replace. You don't really have a guard. You can use another guard, get offensive lineman, and get something on that defense, whether it's a corner, whether it's a safety, whether it's a linebacker. You need something in that back seven. Your front four is good enough. But you need something in that back seven um, to really help out your front four to not get burned so easily. Um, but I, I just don't see it in Jalen Hurts at all. Conversely, on Tampa side, good win. Good win. Um, great win. I know guys have been on TV. Oh, stuff is better than a bye week. To me, for Tampa, that was better than a bye week. Because they kind of play a little rough. Now, the only thing is, though, they have a loss. They may have potentially lost Tristan Wirfs. Um, and I noticed when Tristan Wirfs left the game, the backup right tackle also got hurt. <laughs> so the other guy they brought in was getting mauled. And, I mean, the Philly doesn't have the world's best uh, defensive line. And he was getting absolutely tortured. And, I mean, who they play this week? The Bucks got the Rams. So, remember I spoke about Aaron Donald finding holes? Well, Aaron Donald got to find a tackle hole. Von Miller finds that hole. Von Miller um, and the rest of that pass rushing crew, Leonard Floyd, they find the, the edge holes. Von Miller finds the ones in the middle. Uh, so, they're going to absolutely uh, struggle there without Tristan Wurst. But he tried to play through it. So, that feels like a good sign to me. If it was truly that bad, he would have been out immediately. The fact he tried to fight through it is a positive sign, in my opinion. And they just played well. I mean, look at I mean, look at the defense. Uh, Shaq Barry got a pick. On my one hand, tipped himself, put it on TikTok, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, Twitter, all that. He got like a one-handed pick. That was great. Secondary played well. To me, the defense gained confidence. Uh, they had that one controversial moment where Bruce Arians smacks Andrew Adams in the head. I was raised up on coaching that way. I didn't think anything of it. I kind of just kept pushing. Andrew Adams obviously didn't think anything of it because he didn't get into altercation with Bruce Arians. I kept it pushing. The NFL fined him 50 grand. 
it is what it is, I guess. Mary says he's gonna appeal it. Um, I'm sure if Adam speaks on his behalf, they'll probably reduce it or eliminate it altogether, but I didn't see the big deal in it. But kudos to the Bucks for going into handling business. Like I said, I got fooled by the weather. It happens. And then the most expected, the most expected blowout was Kansas City and the Steelers. Big Ben's last game got rough. It didn't get Dan Marino rough. Um, Dan Marino lost his last game, 2000, 2000, 2001. Playoff game to the Jacksonville Jaguars, 62-7. to Yeah, that was rough. I didn't get that bad for Big Ben, but at no point in that game that I felt like they... I mean, okay. Okay, let's back up. I did think at a certain point they had a chance to keep it close when... It was 0-0 in the first quarter. And then Pittsburgh defense scored the first touchdown. It was one of those, though, this could be the, the Super Bowl all over again. You know, like the, the Bucks defense was so good. The Bucks offense didn't have to do much because the Chiefs had no had no chance. They didn't, have, they didn't pose a threat. They didn't have a snowball chance in hell. But, but when the Chiefs figured it out, it was an avalanche. And the Steelers had no offense to keep up. That was the issue. The Bucks offense wasn't necessarily scoring in the Super Bowl. And they scored 31 points. But they weren't necessarily scoring in the Super Bowl. But when they would punt, it'd be an eight, nine play punt. It wasn't a three play punt, four play punt. It was they would get two, three, four first downs. Okay, then punt it and pinning them back. Well, the Chiefs just kept getting closer and closer to the end zone. And when the dam finally broke, it broke. Uh, it went from 0 0 to 21 7 in the blink. It scored 21 points in the second quarter. Travis Kelsey threw a touchdown pass. Once the dam broke, it was over. TJ Watt looked absolutely besmirched and befuddled um, trying to make up for the rest of his defense. He couldn't overcome that offense. A couple of my friends were like, oh man, the Steelers defense is going to keep the Chiefs under. No. A great defense has to have at least, at least a comparable offense. Like They have to have an offense that can sustain itself when the defense is, you know, the offense that can help. You can't just expect a defense to just hold somebody to zero. Or hold somebody to seven when the other team in your offense only gives you ten. And they're not even driving the ball. They're punting it right back. Like, there's no way that defense can sustain that level of output. And ultimately, they broke. Uh, when they when the dam broke, the Chiefs poured it on. Uh, so, kudos to... Uh, kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs for handling business. Um, thank you, Big Ben. I gave my thank you after you paid your final home game. To me, to me, that was your last game. Like I'm not gonna remember that. I'm not gonna remember that Ravens game. I'm not. I didn't. I didn't. I, don't, I didn't think I watched it. I'm not gonna remember that Ravens game. You won though, so kudos to that. And I'm not gonna remember this playoff game. I don't remember three plays Big Ben did in that playoff game, and I watched it from entirety. What I, you know, what I remember Big Ben walking around the field as a Pittsburgh Steeler for the last time in Pittsburgh. And I do kind of remember him walking off the field. He said for the last time and stuff like that. But him walking around. Uh, Heinz Field as the last time of the last time as he's starting quarterback for the Steelers at home is what I remember. I don't remember anything else. So and I know ultimately in the future no one's gonna remember much of anything else. Um, when they show him do his Hall of Fame um, video in five years, when he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, they're gonna play him walking around the stadium to end it, not him walking off the Chiefs field. Trust me. I mean that's just that that's the true end of his career. Like Michael Jordan. Um, people tell me about Michael Jordan, you know, his career ended with the shadow of Byron Russell. Like, forget the Wizards years. Although he had a couple of great moments in the Wizards. He scored 50 points. He was the oldest player to ever score 50. Uh, he had the famous two-hand block off the backboard. Uh, he had the all-star battle versus Kobe. So he had a couple of great moments as a Wizard, but it truly, the Michael Jordan ended um, 
with a shot of a Byron Russell holding the post. And to me, Big Ben Rosterberger's career ended when he did the lap around Heinz Field with it being emotional uh, as to, after taking knees to the last time to beat uh, beat the Cleveland Browns as the last time with the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. To me, that's when the career ended. But thank you, Big Ben. Hell of a career. Um, the last member of the famed quarterback class of 04, he went in, came in with Eli and Phillip Rivers. Um, Eli Manning is doing Manning casts of <laughs> playoff games and Phillip Rivers coaching high school ball in Alabama. So kudos to Big Ben. Um, had all the gifts. Had more gifts than both of them put together. Probably had the least work ethic. <laughs> but he managed to hang on, went to Super Bowls. Um, so kudos to Big Ben, like I said, for a great career. But now we're going to touch on the close matchups. Um, there was two close matchups, both of which I expected. Raiders and Bengals came down to a, a touchdown. I mean, a touchdown difference. Controversial moment in the game with an inadvertent whistle on a Joe Burrow touchdown. I have it on my, again, on all my social medias um, where Burrow was rolling to his right and was like going out of bounds, but he flips it back inbounds. He throws it back inbounds. And while the ball's almost at the receiver's hands, a whistle blows. Based on the rule book, that plays dead immediately. And if the if an inadvertent whistle happens, the play is dead immediately. And if an inadvertent whistle happens, the ball is loose. So not in anybody's hands. It could be on the ground on a fumble, in the air for a pass, anything. Then the the down doesn't count, and the down must be restarted from where it just the down never existed. Basically, you just replay the down. Um, so the ball was in the air, firmly in the air, when I think Boyd caught the touchdown. And it was really awkward because Burrow was holding his hands up like touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. The Raiders are looking around like, what the fuck, a whistle blew. Boy's looking around like a whistle blew. Like, no one's know how to react. And then they confer, and then they say, like, a touchdown. Based on the rule books, that was not a touchdown. Based on common sense, that was a touchdown. And you get people say, oh, no, the Raiders pulled up because they heard a whistle. No, they weren't. Boy was the whistle, and then the catch happened within... A millisecond there was no way for you to react if you were right there at the ball you wouldn't have pulled your hand down because the whistle blew you get what i'm saying like you didn't or he's about to run the end zone you pulled up because you heard a whistle like he had the touchdown like there was no way he wasn't going to score so common sense states he's going to score based on the rule books however he never the inadvertent whistle happened the play never should have never counted um so i mean that was a bit of the controversy but joe burrow outplayed Derek carr you know, for Rich Basaccia, who was the Raiders' interim head coach, that was the biggest trial he can have, leading his team to a only leading his team to a road playoff victory. Was he ever going to get the Raiders' job? I doubt it. But to have that feather in your cap in the interview, I, we overcame the Henry Ruggs thing together. We overcame the Damon Arnett stuff together. We overcame going on the road into the playoffs together. We needed a win in the last game. We won. We needed a win to beat the Bengals in the playoffs. We won. You know what I'm saying? That was only a lot of feathers in his hat. Unfortunately, he got most of it. He just didn't get the win over the Bengals. Um, but the uh, but the Bengals are a good team. They're a really good team. Jamar Chase is unreal. Uh, Joe Burrow is ridiculous. Uh, they've got some good defensive pieces. So that Bengals team is going to be very dangerous. Keep an eye on them. Uh, keep your eye on the Cincinnati Bengals. Who would have thought I'd be saying the Bengals would be the last AFC North team in? Again, I... Um, again, I was not expecting the Bengals to make the playoffs and they turned out to be the last AFC North team in the playoffs obviously with the uh, Browns not even making it along with the Ravens 
And then the game. Oh, the game. The 49ers and the Cowboys. The game to end all games. The stress to end all stressors. The game everybody was waiting on. The game that I knew was going to end some way. Some kind of kooky. I had the 49ers plus four is the easiest money I made all week. That was, again, easy peasy lemon squeezy. The 49ers and the Cowboys. And we're going to skip through most of the game because we have to talk about the last two minutes. Oh, man. So, Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, he Jimmy G's it up. When the Cowboys and the 49ers have a chance to get a quarterback sneak and end it, Kyle Shanahan was extra. Decided to do some kind of tackle over motion. Jimmy G didn't let Trent Williams get set. And he gets the he gets the QB sneak, but he doesn't matter because they technically false start because Chris Trent Williams was never set. And of course they have the kick. Kick field goal. 23-17. Cowboys get the ball back. They're driving down the field. They have no timeout, so they're popping little out pass. Popping little out passes. 10 yard, 15 outs. Boom, boom, boom. 49ers let them do it. Well, when they cross the 50, the 49ers change their strategy because they burned up timeouts. So instead of the 49ers saying, okay, we're going to just back up, don't let anything go deep, they did that, but they took their linebackers and placed them on the sideline at about 10 to 15 yards depth. So they're like, now you can't throw that 10, 15 yard out because I'm going to have a player sitting there. Throw it in the middle of the field, you're going to have to come up, spike it, and then you have one more shot. Instead of you popping, getting three more shots, and maybe getting down to the 10. And running a legit play from the 10, you know, you out of, of from the 35 or the 40, you got to run kind of a Hail Mary or five verticals, whatever. You got to run something that's not normal that you wouldn't call a traditional play for a traditional route. You know what I'm saying? So the Cowboys see this and they go, oh, God, God, God. brilliant idea. With 14 seconds left and no timeouts, we're going to call a quarterback draw. Brilliant. They'll never see it coming. Well, they didn't. The point then. Dak takes his drive back and takes off at the middle. He's running. He's running. He's running. And he slides. He slides with about five seconds left. If you had a timeout, normally you would go boop, timeout. Right then. Boop. Timeout. Five seconds left from about the 22-yard line. 22-yard line is still, it's kind of a gimmicky play, but there's route combinations that get 22 yards. You know what I'm saying? Um... Or like McCarthy said, they were going to run five verticals. They were running the end zone, Dak, throw a jump ball, see what happens. Um, but he's running. Boom. He gets slides. 49ers play a lane on top of him. Don't land on him. He pops right off of him. Dak, hurry up. And Dak tosses it to the center who sets the ball down. Meanwhile, the referee is running behind the play. He's a 50-year-old ref. Cordon Skip Bailey, he's a Chase private banker. Um, he's running behind the ref. He's running behind the play. He catches up. Well... He tries to shoot through a gap in the offensive line, bumps into Dak. He takes the ball. Instead of just touching it and getting back out of the play, he decides to move it back two yards. Because according to his angle, his peripheral now, again, the refs have earpieces. Maybe another ref told him it's down to 24 or whatever. He takes it and sets it back. When he touches it the first time, there's about two seconds left. So if he touches it and backs up, Cowboys spike it and they have one second left to go for the end zone. But by him moving back, everyone had to shift back and they Dak hikes it at one, spikes it. Well, of course, if you're an LSU fan, you know you can't spike in less than one second. LSU lost the game that way. They lost to, I think, Auburn. Uh, Les Miles caught a spike with one second left. He's, he's, yeah, uh-huh. Jordan Jefferson error. 
you can't spike for one second left by rule the game is over what a cowboy way to lose a playoff game that can't get much better than that personally if i had to invent a way for the cowboys to lose i would have probably picked that oh it was so beautiful it was more beautiful the refs ran off the field really really fast even they run through all the time anyway fans are throwing stuff um, Dak Prescott showed his colors. I mean, he was talking about, oh man, he berated the fans. There's no room for that. Nobody wants to win more than us. Da, 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 da. And the second he found out that it was about the refs, he said credit to them. Then he doubled down on it when they asked him again about it. Took him three days. He finally issued an apology. Finally issued a statement. After the NBA Refs Association comes out and say the NFL should do something, uh, the NFL ultimately fined him 25k um, for his actions. And that was that um the Cowboys season's over jerry jones is gonna bring up mike mccarthy i don't know why i've told you guys before i said it during hard knocks i said it during points of the season what does he do he doesn't motivate i've seen those hard knock speeches those bad he doesn't call plays that's killing more he doesn't truly design offense apparently that's also killing more him and Kellen Moore collabed on that what does he do? He's not the he's not the G he doesn't have no control of 53. That's Jerry Steven and uh McClay. What does he do? He doesn't he doesn't manage the clock. A lot of times I've seen Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore tap him on the shoulder and Bones Fossil tap him on the shoulder to be like, yo, do something here. Like what does he do? He may lose both of his coordinators. Dan Quinn's gonna get a head coaching job. Dan Quinn just pulled a Dan Quinn used the Cowboys, how coordinators use Nick Saban. Which is come in, rehabilitate my image, and dip back out. So Dan Quinn's about to leave. Dan Quinn's going somewhere, whether it's the Giants, um, whether it's the Raiders, Broncos. Dan Quinn's gonna get a job. He's gonna get a good job. He's gonna get a job of his choice. Dan Vikings, Bears. Like Dan Quinn's gonna get a job where he gets an opportunity with a good team. Dan Quinn would not be the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. He'd rather stay in Dallas, DC. He's been a head coach. There's no rush. Kellen Moore probably the same. I don't see him going to Jacksonville. That's a hard rebuild for a first-time head coach. Um, I was thinking going to New York. But could I see uh, Kellen Moore in Chicago? Yep. Him and Justin Fields. So, Mike McCarthy is going to lose both of his, his coordinators. He's going to have to hire new coordinators. The, remember, the only coordinator he's ever hired in Dallas was Mike Nola, who they had to fire after a year to bring in Dan Quinn. Good luck, Jerry. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with Mike McCarthy. Now, again, I would fire him. I would fire him and promote either Quinn or Moore, whichever one you like more. I'd fire McCarthy. I'd probably promote Dan Quinn. Kellen Moore probably will stay another year or two. I'd fire Brian McCarthy, promote Dan Quinn, promote internally up to a DC, slip in a position code somewhere, and that'd be how I'd be rearranged my staff. But of course, Jerry Jones won't do that because he liked Brian McCarthy because they ate nachos and drank beer through the night to get the job. Whatever. But up next, we're going to shift to the NFL division around talk about what's going down there Welcome back into the show. 
Um, I admit that first segment was a little long-winded. Um, but I'll try to keep those a little bit shorter. But it was his games, a lot of storyline in each game. Um, but we're going to jump right into, like I said, the NFL divisional round. and talk about what's going down this weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. So the two games on Saturday, one AFC, one NFC. I like how they're doing that. Uh, Starts off with the AFC, Bengals at Titans. The big news in this game, Derrick Henry is back. Um, he's expected to start. Um, he's supposed to be activated officially today and start. He's been practicing for a couple of weeks. I don't expect a Derrick Henry workload. What does that mean? I do not expect 30 carries. Um, in a normal playoff game, and in this kind of situation, Bengals kind of world's best rush defense, I would expect 30 carries out of Henry. I just don't see it. He hasn't taken legitimate contact in two and a half months. Um, he hasn't had his workload in two and a half months. He's no way in hell he's in football shape. He broke his foot. So that tells you he's, he's not conditioning. It's not like you hurt an arm and you can run, you know, like or something like that. He broke his foot. So that was no physical activity probably for a month. And then you add in a month of rehab. He's not in shape. So it's probably going to feel like preseason week one or, you know, something even worse than camp week one or something because he's not going to be ready for a full workload. Now, do I see 20 carries? Yeah. What is that? That's five carries a quarter. You get two drives a quarter. Yeah, I can see him getting 20 carries. Um, but I don't, especially because they thought to run the ball well without him. I do not expect a 30, 35 carry game from Derrick Henry. You know, he 30 carries, 200 yards, three touchdowns, and just runs the Bengals into oblivion. I don't see that. Which means it's going to come down to Ryan Tannehill. I expect Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon workload to, to be about the same, and their production to be about the same. That means it's going to come down to Ryan Tannehill, Julio Jones, and AJ Brown versus Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is a considerably, to me, better NFL quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Joe Burrow has it. Whatever it is, it is unquantifiable. It is something that you can't put your finger on, but when you see it, you know. Joe Burrow has whatever that is. Um, Absolutely special player. Jamar Chase is... Who's going to guard Jamar Chase? Anyone? Any takers? Are they going to bring people out of the crowd? That team's going to be ready. That team, they, they don't blink. They don't... They don't... I mean, they don't blink. They don't... They don't waver by anything. That team is crazy. Like, literally... I think it's literally crazy. Trey Henderson doesn't blink. Joe Burrow shrugs off everything. Jamar Chase, yeah, he talks his talk, but he's a receiver. Joe Mixon, I don't know what he sounds like. Like... <laughs> That team, Zach Taylor, no idea what he sounds like either. And I've seen tens of tens of his post-game interviews. No idea what he sounds like. That team is made of steel. They're tough. They are a physical group. And they have the ability and they know they're good. You know, and you got a team that's confident, that knows they're good. That's a dangerous team. That's a dangerous football team. Be when you know you're good. Um and so the Bengals are gonna come to play. But the Titans are gonna come to play too. Ryan Tannehill has a lot to stand up for. Mike Vrabel has a lot to stand up for. For Ryan Tannehill, this could parlay into a contract extension. I believe he's extension eligible this offseason. They win this playoff game. This could parlay him to a contract extension. If you're Mike Vrabel, you're probably going to win coach of the year. But what is that coach of the year going to mean if you don't want to play off game? For the, I mean, think about it. They're even changing the ticketing rules to try and get more Tennessee fans 
into the stands and less Bengals fans to the stands. So even changing how their ticketing is being done. This is a full concerted effort by the Tennessee Titans organization to win this football game. It's going to be a hell of a game. Obviously, we're not picking any winners right now because it's going to be in Jack's pack. Um, but this is going to be a hell of a football game. Um, you've got guys on this defense that they paid to be this moment. You For the Titans. Bengals too. Trey Henderson, show up. This is a two and a half, three sack kind of big game for Trey Henderson. For the Cincinnati Bengals, you win this game, you had your most successful season in 40, 50 years. Titans win this game, you had your most successful season since what? Early 2000s? Music City Miracle? I mean, this is massive for both these organizations. Two non-traditional powers. Um, two teams with coaches on the opposite end of the scales for Mike Vrabel, former player, defensive coach, out of the Belichick tree. For Zach Taylor, young, I don't think he played, I don't think he got anywhere near the NFL, offensive minded, but he's not considered that McVay, Shanahan, Kingsbury level of offensive genius of the youth. He's kind of in that what Jay Gruden was when he first came in, or the way he's considered. So this is huge for both organizations. Um, I cannot wait to watch it. I'm going to be glued to the TV all weekend. Um, it's going to be a massive game. The nightcap on Saturday is going to be the Frozen Tundra. Uh, Green Bay Packers host San Francisco 49ers. This game will come down to health. It'll come down to health. Um, for the 49ers, Fred Warner is expected to play. But there's no guarantee on that. Um, right now, I mean, he told us to, he tweeted out Monday, I think. Sorry, sorry for the scare. Just uh, something minor. I'll be ready to go Sunday. So he's expected to play. But what is Bosa? Bosa took a nasty concussion. If he can't play, the 49ers have no chance on this green earth. I will repeat that. If Joey, Nick Bosa, sorry, cannot play, the 49ers have no chance on this green earth because that means you cannot get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And if you cannot get pressure on Aaron Rodgers, go ahead and put 30 on the scoreboard and go from there. You'd have no shot. Um, so this would be massive to see if, if Nick Bosa can play. Uh, Fred Warner should play. Flip it on the other side. Green Bay's getting a little healthier. Bakhtiari is going to be ready to roll. Randall Cobb's been activated. He had core muscle surgeries seven weeks ago. Um, he's been activated. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is ready and good to go. He had a week off, got the toe fixed, and got the toe a little bit more rest. He's ready to roll. Uh, A.J. Dillon, who took a beating towards the end of the season, he's got a week off. Aaron Jones will be ready. Devontae Adams had a week off. So those guys are going to be ready to play. Um, rest over rust, we're going to see. 49ers had a great emotional victory, but their defense played really well. Dallas is the number one offense in the league. Dallas scored 17. So the 49ers have the ability to play defense, but Dak Prescott is not Aaron Rodgers. Um, Cooper Cup, CeeDee Lamb, and Cedric Wilson are not Devontae Adams. At this point, Ezekiel Elliott is not Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon. David Bakhtiari is better than Ty Smith at this point in their career. So there's a lot of advantages Green Bay has talent-wise over Dallas. Plus, Jair Alexander should be back. But I said that 49ers team, man, they were outgunned in those two NFC Championship games too, talent-wise. They were outgunned, and they physically assaulted the Green Bay Packers into submission until until the Niners won. So... Do I see the 49ers keeping this game close? Absolutely. Um, closer than the experts think. It's, it's going to be a war. It's going to be a war. Now, Green Bay goes up 17-0 in the first quarter. It's over. 
um, because you put Garoppolo in a spot he doesn't want to be in. But if the 49ers keep the chains moving, keep Garoppolo, keep Garoppolo out of bad spots, it's going to be a great game. And then Sunday, first game on Sunday, Rams at Bucks. This game has the potential to be the blowout. This is the blowout. This is the blowoutable game. Here's the crazy part on either side. Either one of these teams can blow the other one out. The Rams could go in there and physically annihilate the Bucks. I mean, whoop them. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Matt Stafford, Camp Akers, Sonny Michelle, Andrew Whitworth, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, go in there and just star power the Bucks to death. I mean, where the Bucks have no chance. The Bucks look up and they're like, what hit us? I mean, just an absolute annihilation, domination, de- degradation of the Tampa Bay Bucks organization. But on the other side, it could go the complete and total other way. What if Worth is healthy? The Bucks have one of the top five offensive lines in the league if Worth is healthy. If he's playing and he's able to play like Tristan Worth, that line could be somewhat neutralized. They don't have great linebackers, and outside of Jalen Ramsey, that's their corner. So what if Brady can start picking? Boom, 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 boom. Fournette's supposed to play. He tweeted out uh, his birthday video. He said, I'll see you guys Sunday. He's supposed to play. No word on Rojo, but Fournette's supposed to be there. Gronk is there, obviously. Mike Evans is there, obviously. They're supposed to get may, may, they may or may not get Sir Grayson back. Scotty Miller is there. So what if the Bucks come out? Think about it. They could be healthy. Levante David, Devin White, Shaq Barry, JPP. It, it, it's not a nobody on the Bucks. That, that squad can play. So... Um, very interesting to see that game could be a blowout either way. That's going to be, to me, the most intriguing game because it could be 10 to 7. <laughs> it could be 35 34. That, that is the game that's going to be, to me, the most intriguing game because of the level of star power. And the momentum would be huge because once star power starts to roll downhill, it doesn't stop. It's going to keep rolling downhill. Um, so, definitely going to keep our eye on that one. And then, of course, the offensive shootout game that I'm thoroughly expecting will be both teams will score at least 30, 35 on the other one. Bills and Chiefs. Um, this is a battle of the two most talented quarterbacks, raw talent in the AFC. Um, would I take Joe Burrow over Josh Allen? Yes, but he does not have Josh Allen's physical capabilities or physical raw talent. The only person in the league matching his – there's three people, four people in the league are in a category of their own physically. And I guess kind of five. But the four that's definitely in there is Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. And I said kind of five because Matt Stafford's hanging right. He's right He's right behind them um, in terms of arm talent and physical capabilities. But those first four are definitely in there. Like I said, Matt Stafford, I guess you can make it five. Two of them are playing. And that's, <laughs> and that's Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. This is going to be a great game. Because that Bills team looks like they, they're they on to something. That Bills team looks like they are ramped up, ready to go, ready to roll. Now, if history would have anything to do with it, the Chiefs would win. Josh Allen went way to the ceiling. He's probably going to come way through the floor. Chiefs didn't play great early. They usually fire off the ball. You know, it's kind of like, so if history, if history is any indication, the Chiefs would win this game. But, the, but, that, but that Bills team's playing with a lot of motivation, a lot of revenge on their mind. Uh, you heard Micah Hyatt say it pregame. 
They wanted to embarrass the Patriots. They wanted to end their reign. Remember Stephon Diggs? He watched the Chiefs accept the AFC Championship Game trophy last year. Watched the whole ceremony and then went to the locker room. He's coming out of motivation. Now they're back in Arrowhead. Scene of the crime in their minds. A lot of motivations on that Buccaneers, on the Buffalo Bills sideline, rather. This could get interesting. Um, If you are the Chiefs, if you're a Chiefs nation, Chiefs kingdom, as they're so undutably called themselves, this is not a walk in the park. Bills Mafia is coming. Uh, And they've got a lot of motivation. And they've got a lot of um, incentive to defeat the Kansas City Chiefs. So you're going to keep an eye on that. But up next, we are going to shift to Jack's pack. We will pick these games along with picking them against the spread. And now we're going to talk about our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Now, as you guys know, we had a great playoffs last year. Um, we were like, I don't miss one game. Then like 11 and 1, something like that. And I was like, yeah, we're going to parlay our so-so success. We're going to parlay our playoff success right into another round of playoff success. That's what I'm thinking, right? Wrong. We end up going 2 and 3. I mean, we went three and three last week. Sorry, in the playoffs. Um, I mean, it was just not great. We picked the Eagles, but that was based on a rain monsoon. Um, the Cardinals absolutely folded, and the Patriots got absolutely destroyed. Okay, all right, that's fair, right? It happens. Three and three, we broke even. Not terrible, not great. Um, but this week, I love the numbers. This week, I was a huge fan of all the numbers. I only feel kind of eh, on one of them. Um, and if I, it was a regular season game, I probably wouldn't pick it. But hey, it's the playoffs. We're going to roll with it. So we're going to jump right into it. Bengals plus three and a half at Titans. Take the Bengals. Now, Derrick Henry has officially been activated, or he will be officially activated um, today, sometime today. And he's expected to start when the uh, Titans take the field against the Cincinnati Bengals. But like I spoke about earlier, I do not expect his regular workload because of which I expect him to be for lack of a better term, normal. Him and Joe Mixon will probably equal workload. It'll come down to Ryan Tannehill. I think Joe Burrow is better than Ryan Tannehill. I think Jamar Chase, AJ, I think Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and uh, Tyler Boyd at this point is a better trio than Julio Jones and AJ Brown is a duo. Um, and so I'm going to go with the Bengals here, plus three and a half. I got the Bengals winning this game outright. So the, I would do the money line in this game. I have the Bengals winning this contest outright. Um, but definitely the point spread, Bengals plus three and a half over the Titans. Our next game is Niners at Green Bay. Green Bay minus five and a half. Take the Packers. Um, I am doing this due to the fact of I don't know the health of the 49ers. If I knew the health of the Niners, and I knew for a fact that, okay, yeah, they're going to have Nick Bosa full strength and Fred Warner full strength and Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be fine. All right. Maybe that plus five and a half enticing me a little more. But without having that information, probably Nick Bosa is probably going to be out. 
That means no pressure on Aaron Rodgers. That means a cold, frozen tundra with no pressure for Aaron Rodgers. You might, like I said, might as well put 30 on the board and go from there. Um, I've got the Packers winning this game comfortably. I've got Green Bay covering the minus five and a half. So take that and run with it. Up next, we've got the Los Angeles Rams at the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Rams are intriguing in this game, and I have the Rams plus two and a half because I think the Rams win this game outright. Here's why. If you get it plus three, run with it. If you man, if you get it plus three, run as fast as you can. That's a beautiful number. Um, but here's why. I think the Rams are going to win this game all right. I spoke about a lot of the star power. The star power has the advantage of Rams. Now, if Matt Stafford throws two pick sixes, you're dead to rights, right? But I don't think Matt Stafford's going to fold like that. I don't think he's going to play really well in this game. I think he'll play really well in this contest. Um, and so I am going to go with the Rams to win the game outright, but definitely plus two and a half go there. And lastly, last game of the weekend, the capper uh, to see who meets, I think, the Bengals in an AFC Championship game. Uh, Bills at Chiefs. I'm going to go with the Bills plus one and a half. They're playing with a lot of revenge competitive fire. And that's a very powerful, for lack of a better term, drug. It's a very powerful elixir. It's a very powerful motivator um, to get somebody going is the thought of revenge. Is the benefit or is the frame of mind that you took something from us we deserved? And the Bills felt like they were the, the doormat for the Patriots for 20 years. So they took all that anger out and poured it into last week's game, last Saturday's game. Stephon Diggs remembers watching that celebration. The Bills remember walking off the field in the confetti flying for the Chiefs because they were going to the Super Bowl. They remember that. And every one of the main players that are on the team this year, especially the team leaders, were on that team last year. They all remember that. That's a lot of anger and motivation and frustration. And I got the bills. Now, again, the history would state Josh Allen's going to play bad. I mean, it's almost like it, at this point, it, it's funny. Nick Wright, who's Chiefs fan, made a graph of Josh Allen's passer ratings. And every time he goes up, he goes equally as far down. And if he goes a little bit further up, he goes equally further down. It's it's hilarious. He went to the moon. Like 150, damn, 154-something passer rating out of 156.8. He went to the moon, right? And so there's a good chance he's going to go to Hades with his, with his latest performance. Absolutely terrible. I, I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to go Bills here. And this feels like a hard overhead pick because the data tells me go Chiefs. So if you go Chiefs, man, and like call me dumb later, I won't blame you. The data says Chiefs. Common sense says Chiefs. But there's something about that Bills team, man. It's like I'm falling in love with the Bills, and as a Patriots fan, it hurts. But something about that Bills team intrigues the hell out of me. Um, in which case, I'm going to go with the Bills plus one and a half here. So my picks are the Bengals plus three and a half over the Titans, Packers minus five and a half over the 49ers, Rams plus two and a half over the Bucks, and Bills plus one and a half over the Chiefs. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there.
welcome back into the show um i believe we're done with football unless i get some breaking news um but we are moving on to the nba and as always we start a new sport what do we do we investigate those standings so Audis, we have in order we're gonna go one through ten obviously because you guys know the playing tournament is teams seven through ten uh battled out for spots seven through eight but we're going to jump right through one through ten and of course we're starting out east so that is bulls heat nets bucks 76ers Cavs, hornets wizards celtics and raptors and then out west we have the sun warriors grizzlies jazz mavericks nuggets timberwolves lakers clippers and portland um, just looking at these standings, man, some things standing out. For instance, the Timberwolves, they are currently seven. Now, they'd still be in a play-in tournament, but that was a team around 12 or 13 about a month ago. Now, I spoke about the Pelicans, as you guys know, I'm a Pelicans fan, having chance to maybe, you know, I guess I catch, catch Minnesota, catch Minnesota. When Minnesota has left my Pelicans in the dust. Uh, they have flown all the way up to seven. Um, you look at the 76ers, they're dealing with their Ben Simmons mess, but Joel Embiid has stayed healthy so far this season. So they are able to get climb up into the uh, fifth spot. The Heat being number two is shocking. Bam Adebayo has been gone for several weeks. He just started to come back a couple games ago. Uh, they have flown to the number two seed. Chicago is maintaining the first seed, um, which is very interesting there. Boston still has not gotten their life together. They hang out at nine. And look at the LA teams at eight and nine. Injuries have derailed one, and that's the Clippers. Both Kawhi and Paul George are out. Uh, Kawhi is presumably out for the season. Paul George presumably is out for the next few weeks as his UCL is still healing. Um, but look at the two LA teams, eight and nine. So as it sits right now, they would play, or they would not play. They would play, the Lakers would play the Timberwolves, and the Clippers would play Portland. I believe how that's set up for the right to, or maybe they play each other. I forgot how the playing tournament is exactly set up. I don't know if a seven plays 10 and an eight play nine, and then those two play for the side. I'm not sure. Um, no, no, no. Seven plays eight. So Timberwolves will play the Lakers. Winner of that game will get the seven seed. Boston, or sorry, the Clippers will play Portland. Winner of that game will get the right to play the loser of seven, eight for the eight seed. That's how that would go. So um, as of right now, they both have the opportunity to get in through the playing tournament. But the fact that if I told you preseason that the Lakers and the Clippers would be fighting for the playing tournament um, and a team like the Grizzlies would be the three seed in the West, you would call me insane. Um, but speaking of those Lakers, they are imploding as we speak. Um, Frank Vogel is apparently coaching for his job daily. Um, he almost got fired after he lost about 37 points to Denver. He's fought it off, apparently. Now, apparently, he's been empowered to use and to use his lineup fully. Treat Russell Westbrook how he has to be treated at this point, which is an average to below average NBA player who's not conducive to winning. When you got a situation like that, Russ is a superstar. Russ has been a superstar since year, what, two or three in the NBA out of UCLA. Um, it didn't take long for him to catch national media attention due to his athleticism. This was right around the time the athletic point guard was really in. He's a bigger guard. He's like 6'3", 6'4". Dunks all over the place, especially in his prime. So he had a big explosion dunk on Rudy Gobert not too long ago. So he was a superstar. He's been a max contract player his entire career. When the when the Thunder had a choice to make, it wasn't Russ, James Harden, or whoever. It was James Harden or Serge Ibaka. The organization's Irish, so Serge Ibaka traded uh, Harden out over, what, $40 million in luxury tax, something like that. 
And you look at Oklahoma City. He's got four, four out of five years, triple doubles. You know, he's got a lot going on for him in his career. He's, he was a plus player in Oklahoma City. He was a plus player in Houston. He's a plus player in Washington. He's a big negative right now for the Lakers. And now Frank Vogel coaching for his job now has newfound power. But this newfound power may be too late. You know, Russell Westbrook maybe don't even agree to be traded to the Lakers if he realizes how it's going to go. He might have stayed in Washington. Kyle Kuzma has said he knew he was a king. It was one of those things like, it's not even a question. Like, I know I'm going to Sacramento. The Buddy Hill trade was done, and then this Russell Westbrook trade swoops in the last minute, which looks like the trade of the year for the Wizards. I mean, they are the eighth seed, same as the Lakers, but they don't have Russell Westbrook's contract to try and get off of. It's a bad situation. LeBron is playing arguably the best basketball in the past decade. In terms of individual accomplishments, he's second in the NBA. No, he's first in the NBA with 30-point games. Um, some of his monthly statistics have all-time high. He's hitting milestone at the milestone at the milestone, longevity-wise. And they're one game below 500 and currently the eighth seed. If the season ended today, they'd be playing the Timberwolves for the right to the seventh seed. It's just not great in Los Angeles right now. And constantly, and I do mean constantly, um, there's an update or a story or a news article or a break or something related to the Lakers having a problem. So it's, it's something to definitely keep our eye on, and we definitely keep our eye on the situation. Speaking of another team that's kind of imploding, but not really, it's the Golden State Warriors. I wouldn't use the word imploding. I would use the term flailing. They're flailing right now. Here's why. The Warriors are flailing because Klay Thompson's return admittedly is coming a little slow. And Michael Thompson, his father, uh, who's the announcer, I believe, for the Warriors. He's an announcer for the Warriors. Um, number one overall pick one time for the Lakers. He stated that Clay's shot is the only thing, honestly, he could trust. Because uh, um, that was the only thing. All right, sorry. The only thing he knew would be there because that was the only thing Clay could do for two years. Clay kept having low leg injuries. The only thing he could do was stand still and shoot. Well, that shot hasn't translated. He's having going through short stretches. He's not in the game much. He's still on a minutes restriction, which I'm gonna be honest, NBA medical doctors, I need someone to explain that to me. What's the point of minutes restriction? Like if a guy can play 25 minutes, why can't he play 30? Because I have the mindset of if you, if it's, for instance, Zion Williamson is a prime example. When he first came back from his injury, his rookie year, he had a 24-minute restriction. So they were playing, and not only was his, he had a minute restriction, he had burst restrictions. So he couldn't play longer than, so it wasn't even like Alvin Jr. could say, yo, the kid's cooking. Like he wasn't that good. He came in against Spurs. He throws three and all that stuff. Like, yo, the kid's cooking. Just let him cook kind of thing. And if he looks windy and looks tired, pull him, and then we'll adjust his minute restriction from there. You know, he had a burst limit. So he would play four minutes, timeout, sub, Zion's out. Um, and so that messed up his rhythm. I'm looking at Clay. Clay's rhythm is messed up. He's used to playing 32, 33, 34 minutes, including eight, nine minute stretches where he stays in the game. He doesn't have to rush his shots. He picks and chooses his spots. Bang. Well, he's on these, it's almost like Zion Williams' rhythm schedule. With these, this burst schedule, he's only got 25 minutes to play with. They're not playing him longer than five minute stretches, pretty much. So. Now, I can't get in the rhythm. I go up and down the court three, four times. Okay. 
figuring out how the game is played, where my gaps are, where can I pick and choose my spots. Boom, shoot a couple shots. I didn't make them. Move around a little bit more. Sub them out. I might have got three shots up. Okay, now I'm watching the next eight minutes. Okay, I'm back in. Find a way for around the court. Okay, cool. That's how this defense is playing me. They adjusting me this way. I make a couple. Great, cool. I gotta make a couple threes. Moving around a little bit more. Da da da. da. Sub them out. So it's just you're going at a pace that's almost impossible. You're going at a rhythm that's impossible to keep. You can't keep rhythm that way. Draymond Green has a disc problem. Draymond Green's game is predicated on smarts, yes, but it's also predicated on being able to do quick movements fast. He's a tough rebounding defender. He has a disc problem in his back. It that shut Larry Bird down. It shut LeBron down for two weeks. Remember the famous labatical? In Miami, that because we had this problem to the point where LeBron had to go find, like, I think a Marine, so I think of like ex Marine or something to um, figure out what to do with his disc because people were thinking, yo, he's six foot nine, 200 at that time, nearly 300 pounds. What is he gonna do? Like, how is his back gonna survive if he's got disc problems? Well, he found a Marine and they fixed his disc, and that was a, what, a decade ago. LeBron's been rolling ever since. Maybe Draymond Green to find somebody to find a specialist because the Warriors seem to be very concerned about it. Steph Curry shooting the worst his career. Now, for Steph Curry, that's 38.6%, something like that. For most people in the NBA, that's a career year. For Steph Curry, that's a career worst. Uh, so he's playing the worst his career. It's just, I still don't know if James Wiseman can play basketball again for the Warriors. It's, it's an awkward gentleman situation. They lost the game last night to the Indiana Pacers. They had no business losing. It's a situation where the Warriors could be in a bit of a, a, a trouble slump. And they have to fight to get their way out of it. So we're going to keep an eye on that. Um, a little injury news. Lonzo Ball is expected to miss four to eight weeks with a uh, slightly torn meniscus in his left knee that they will have uh, orthoscopic surgery to fix it. Uh, if it's four weeks, he's back in a month. And then he's back, you know, with two months to ramp up for the playoffs. If it's eight weeks, he's back in two months. And that'll put him coming back in late March, which will give him about a month, uh, a couple of weeks to get ready for the playoffs. So timeline probably hit about six weeks. I always do with athletes. It's never at the very beginning. It's never at the very end. It's usually right around the middle. That'll put him six weeks, which would be early March. Give him about give him about six weeks for the playoffs to ramp up, uh, get into shape and stuff like that. Uh, ready to go for the playoff runs. The Bulls are going to be in. Like they're, they're the one seed right now. Even if they tank off, they probably won't go further past than five or six, which means they'll be in the playoffs firm. So give them time to ramp up for the playoffs. Uh, Brandon Ingram is considered uh, game to game or day to day rather with a sprained ankle. He suffered late in the Knicks ball game. He missed the entire fourth quarter, um, but the team is optimistic he'll be able to play on Monday. And Luka Doncic is also considered day to day with a neck situation. Uh, suffered in their last game as well. Uh, so he is day to day as of right now. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk about the big UFC card this Saturday and Ganu versus Game.
Hello everybody and welcome back into the show and now we're going to talk about the big UFC card this weekend Francis Ngannou versus Gain. Um, this is a big one it, it is a UFC heavyweight unification uh, bout so in this bout um, Francis Ngannou obviously knocked out Stipe Miocic, if memory serves me correctly. But, um, knocked him out, became the heavyweight champion. Well, Ngannou didn't fight for a while. There was rumors swirling. He suffered an injury um, that they didn't tell the media, all kind of stuff. But regardless, remember, it was like a few months later, Dana White ordered a UFC interim championship fight. And I went, odd. And Ngannou just fought a few months ago. It was between Derrick Lewis and Gain. I can't, th- I can't think of Gain's first name. Between Derrick Lewis and Gain. Gain knocks out Derrick Lewis. So that means Gain is now the, uni- the UFC interim heavyweight champion. Right after that, Ngannou, I guess it's cleared, it's healed, whatever. He's back. Well, now the champ and the interim champ are there. Well, it's in boxing. Boxing's got four belts that you can pass around. And if I'm hurt, I'll just hold the WBO belt for a year and a half and not fight. And then I'll come back and fight whoever. Not in UFC. You're out. You miss the X amount of window of months you're supposed to fight. We, we assign an interim champion. He's champ. And then you'll come back and y'all will fight each other. That's what's going to happen. And Ganu's going to fight Gain for the unified title. Now, this is a huge fight. Dana White. In Dana White's perfect world, Gain wins this fight. Why? This is the last fight on Ngannou's contract. He's already said he ain't fighting for this amount of money again. I think it's 300k or something like that for his fight he already said he's not fighting on this amount of money ever again i mean straight up he's not doing it this is Ngannou's last fight on his contract so if ganu if Ngannou knocks gain out let's say he just one of his famous rights bow down goes game i'm the undisputed ufc heavyweight champion and a free agent all in one sentence in theory Ngannou could take that belt to one championship he can take that belt to strike force he can take that belt wherever he wants because he has it now i'm sure of course they would sign a or they'll have an open challenge or whatever at a ufc top two contenders maybe Derek lewis fights again again winner is champ whatever but Ngannou would have that belt and everybody would feel it's kind of cheap for a little while because the champ left Or Ngannou gets one of these John Jones, Conor McGregor, um, Khabib, Namagomedov style contracts where it's I get a portion of the gate, I get a certain, certain amount of base salary, my endorsement company. If I got a company, they're on the mat, they're getting they're getting endorsement slots, then like that. Because uh, proper number twelve was on the mat when Conor uh, in the Conor's last fight. Sponsor and kind of gets a piece of the gate and whatever. And Gano's gonna want to deal like that. He'll be the champ, he'll be the undisputed champ. He would have knocked out Gain. Boom. I won big bag. If Gain wins, Gain, I'm sure, has a couple of fights left on his contract. So he'll have to fight on that contract, plus he'll get championship perks and maybe a piece of the gate or something like that. But in Gano now will be a free agent off a loss. No longer champ. So now that gives UFC more leverage. The the piece of the pie won't be nearly as big for Ngannou. So, in Dana White's perfect world, Gain wins and wins decisively. Like I said, a knockout. In Ganu's perfect world, he knocks Gain out early. 
goes into free agency holding the UFC heavyweight championship. Personally, I think Ngannou's going to win this fight. Now, Gain's a better technical fighter. Gain is a better technical mixed martial artist. But Francis Ngannou has now channeled all of that arm strength into a proper punch, basically. Um, Daniel Cormier was showcasing it in a detail. The, the knockout punch to uh, Stipe, where Francis flipped his hips into the punch. That ain't something he used to do. He used to be walking forward and swinging big overhand style rights and lefts. If, if he hits you and basically like Daniel Cormier was saying, hoping his arm knocked you out. Well, now he doesn't have to focus just on his fist strength and his arm strength. He's walking in with form. He's flipping the hips. He's throwing his body into punches. He's throwing that 245 pound frame or whatever. He's a massive guy. He's flipping that big frame into those ridiculously strong punches um, to try and knock you out. So I've got Ngannou in this one. Would it shock me if game one? No. Like I said, he's a very technical fighter. He threw a couple of spinning back elbows against the cage against Derek Lewis. I was massively impressed by it. He's a very technically sound um, fighter. So it would not shock me in the slightest if um, Gain were to knock out Ngannou. Spoiler alert, it's not going past the third round. Ngannou is way too strong. Gain is way too strong. It's a heavyweight fight. I don't even know why they put five rounds on this thing. It's not going to make it past three. I mean, if it gets to the third bell, I'll be shocked. If it gets to the third, if it gets to the third round, I'll be shocked. And Ganu's swing, and Ganu's jabs are heavy. I hate makers. Gain's a big, strong guy. This isn't going to last that long. It's who matter who can protect themselves and get their big shot in. Uh, who's going to win this fight ultimately? But like I said, I've got Ngannou knockout. I'd say the second round. Uh, late second round, and Ganu finally flips his hips into one, lays Gain down. He's the undisputed champion. And going into free agency, I agree what the biggest free agency in UFC history, the biggest free agency makes martial arts history. Maybe since Cyborg went to free agency, but everybody knew she was going to UFC. Uh, maybe if Amanda Nunez were to get there, some, maybe that's a big one. If Connor would ever leave UFC, maybe that would be a big one, but uh, that'd be a huge one if Connor would ever leave. But Ngannou would be the biggest free agent in, in mixed martial arts history. But that is all we have for today. I'm glad you guys are able to rock with me this weekend. Uh, if you're where I'm from, which is South Louisiana, stay warm. Not afraid I say often. It's pretty cold out here. But to my listeners all across the country and the world, I thank you guys for tuning in with me, uh, rocking in with me this uh, Friday. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. <laughs>